everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 96 of the show, where we are launching into a new month. Well, kind of launching into a new month. We had uh, June start last month with the annuals. And I guess we did Thor too. So we're not launching into a new month. We're just still in June. Never mind. Scratch that. Hey, Mike, can we do this over? <laughs> yeah, let's start over. No, no we're, um, we're going to pick up with the, uh, the last two comics that were released on June 1st of 1965. And Mike and I have, talking, have been talking about a little format change. We're going to probably do four comics in this episode, depending on how long the discussion goes. And in the future, if we finish three and we're like right at the hour mark, we might go ahead and throw in a fourth just, you know, to, to do more in the episode. And, and you were saying, Mike, that if we don't like an issue, we can just kind of not spend as much time on it. <laughs> well, and like you said, that the whole nine books per month thing isn't going to last much longer anyway. So the so doing... You know, three by three isn't really going to make a difference pretty soon. Right. Right. So we might as well. It was well lasted. Yeah. But the thing is, like, we're starting to get into some regularity with a lot of these titles. So it's like less, Mm -hmm. uh, less noteworthy, maybe, because there's not changes and differences and additions. It's just like, hey, another Hulk fight. Okay. We have our stable of titles. The next change is that Daredevil and the X-Men will both go monthly. Mm -hmm. So um, we're already going to have been covering them. We'll just be covering them every month. So it makes 10 titles a month. So yeah, uh, we lost our, you know, nine per month, three by three sweet spot. And, you know, one of the ideas at the beginning was that once we got into stuff, we would spend probably less time on comics we had less to say about mm-hmm. and then squeeze more into the episode. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So we'll so see we'll what happens. See how it goes. So speaking of a comic. So actually, I'm not sure if we said that we were going to cover four in our homework last issue. So if we didn't, you guys can pause and tag on Fantastic Four number 42 real fast and then come back to us because we're probably going to cover that tonight, too. Just to change it. All right, but we're starting out with Tales of Spent... Ah, no, we're not. We're starting out with Tales to Astonish, number 71. Speaking of a new lineup, this is our second Submariner story that we're getting now that uh, What's-Their-Faces are gone. Um, (laughs) We've already forgotten that. (laughs) It's called Escape, dot, 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 to nowhere. Superlative story by Stan Lee, sensational art by Adam Austin, spectacular inking by Vince Coletta, and sufficient lettering by Artie Semek. And it picks up right where it left off and nicely gives us a little caption, which I'll read in case those of us like myself forgot what happened last issue. Imperious Rex, the ambitious warlord Krang, has seized the throne of Atlantis. Only by finding Neptune's hidden trident can Prince Namor prove that he alone may wear the crown. But on the first leg of his search for the trident, Namor meets Disaster. They don't say what Disaster is, but Disaster is him getting trapped in a cave with a big giant octopus. Now, he was trapped because Warlord Krang's people followed him and, uh, you know, rock rock uh, 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 slided the cave and closed it on him. Um, but the octopus is Trident's fault, I guess. So anyway, he's trying to break out Superman style, punching through the rock, and he's like, ah, oh, this is going to take forever. What should I do? Oh, I know. This shell that I found which is the first clue to the whole trident mystery i'll just throw it really hard at the octopus and i'm so (laughs) strong it's like a bullet and it is and it blows the guys uh or the girls uh you know arms off the thing runs away he opens it and a floating head of uh neptune comes out and says well done you did it now on to step two go to the forbidden deep to face the next peril that awaits thee. So we don't really know what it is. But anyway, okay, I know where the Forbidden Deep is, and now I have to get out of here. So Superman style, he like spins around really fast, tornado-like, and drills his way out of the cave. He is immediately attacked by the dudes who caved him in in the first place. They're on like this, you know, Atlantic Atlantis-like tank thing, but he easily tosses them over, and they run away. Um, then we cut to Krang and, oh man, I always forget her name. Lady, Lady Dorma. Lady Dorma something or other. Yeah. And he's talking about how, like, I know you betrayed me. I know you let Namor escape, but don't worry. Once I kill him, you can be free to love me. And she's like, darn, that's a really good strategy. And walks away <laughs> and swims away crying. Um, 
Namor, meanwhile, swimming towards the Forbidden Deep, he randomly runs across like this old Atlantean guy who tells him, hey, even though Krang's in charge, there's a lot of us who are still loyal to you, so don't give up, Hope. Submariner lets him, like, kiss his hand, and he floats away. Um, I can't remember what happens next. Oh, like, the Krang people are going around collecting taxes, and they're being really, like, you know, um, Prince John about it, just mean. And that's really making the locals, like, kind of um, gather up in secret meetings and talk about how they wish Submariner had power again. So that's not great for Crane. And this uh, British fox shows up. and <laughs> Right. And this British fox shows up with a bear and a weird busty chicken. Um, okay, Robin. Anyway, Crane is watching Submariner with his cool television technology. And as we see Submariner make it to the hidden deep whatever that is. And the first thing he sees is a gigantic seaweed man. And the gigantic seaweed man says, none shall pass. But he says, no, I'm Prince Namor. I'm going to pass. And he starts fighting him. Uh, and he starts losing and to be continued. Yeah. It's like a big, hairy cousin. It with arms thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's called a seaweed man, but it literally looks like a fur beast. <laughs> it really does. It does not look like seaweed. It looks like hair. But, right. Oh, well, so it's the quest. It's the quest. Yep. What are your thoughts? We have two chapters of the quest so far. What are your thoughts? Felt a little repetitive, kind of like the last one. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, I kind of like the parts where they're they're world building a little bit with the the taxation and people not liking that sort of stuff. That was cool, right? But otherwise, it's like I feel like we've seen the Dorma struggle already, and Krang is sort of Krang. I don't know. Yeah, when I when I read through this the first time. I found myself really kind of bored with the redundancy of it. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's basically, it's a quest video game with bosses at the end of each level. Right. And the boss is the cliffhanger. And at the end and the beginning of the next episode, he beats the boss and, you know, 10 pages of story fight the next boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does this for, you know, may not, not even a half dozen issues. It's like four issues maybe. Okay. Uh, but it's just, by the end of it, it's just kind of like, wow, this is, you know, a lot. Um, I did not mind it so much last time I read through this, which I think was last year. Uh, but so it's now just kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember how this goes now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a quick read and it's not bad. It's just not a lot to say about it because the characters are just doing the same thing over and over again, kind of. Yeah. The poor squid does nothing wrong and loses his <laughs> tentacle over it. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I liked your reference to Superman with a super tunneling because that was totally. very Silver Age. That is very Superman. Yeah. That's straight out of the movie, too. I mean, that's how he tunnels into Lex Luthor's lair. So, Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Except he did a feet first, but still pretty cool. There's this period in the Silver Age, though, where like at least in one Superman story every month, he's he's twirling a tunnel out of the ground. Someone came up, with that, or Superboy. came up with that idea and was like, let's just roll with this. This is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, I really love Ready Player One. <laughs> Whenever Namor stops the bad guy and like the creator of the game shows up to talk to him. See, I've never is seen Ready Prince Player One. Oh, okay. Read it. What is it? A book or a movie first? It's a book, right? It's a book first. Okay, yeah. And then a movie. I've, um, I've done neither. I heard the movie was really worth, good, though. Yeah, I really like the movie. The book is worth reading. The book was written before a lot of modern conversations about gatekeeping and um, gender roles and fandom started. And so mm. it has a few tropes that are avoided nowadays. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that it was like part of the problem. I think it's just kind of is tropey. I, I don't know. Anyways, but the movie cleaned up a lot of that and you're, did some you're really talking, cool choices. You're talking about this old man who shows up. Yeah. The old man. And so in, in, you know, the, the entire world is this like massive multiplayer online role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And uh, every time when you beat one of the, the bosses or, you know, the quest, the creator of the game shows up and talks to you and gives you hints to the next level. And that's what is kind of happening here. Yeah. Father did. Neptune shows up. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Um, at some point he thinks, well, I like the Krang solution of like your love will never be mine as long as he lives. So I'm just going to kill him. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah. There's some romance for you. Cause that's how that works. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's kill the guy you love. I feel like that's not the only time that's going to come up in the comics we have for tonight. And then she's like, well, if he dies, my fate doesn't matter. And I'm, that makes me translate to, I guess I'll just marry him. Cause I'm a female in a comic. And that's how that yeah, works. Okay. Right. So I'm of mixed opinions on Dorma's perspective in this. Uh-huh. She's choosing her love for Namor over her ambition to rule. Uh-huh. 
but also I'm going to save him even if it kills both of us is maybe a little bit much. She is very uh, all over the place, I feel like, ever since she was introduced. Like, I can never decide if she's going to betray him or, or try to marry him, you know? She continues to be like that. I don't know if that if they have no concept for her personality and they're just using her as a, as a plot device mm-hmm. or if they're trying to write a woman from the perspective of 1960s men and they're writing this, you know, crazy character because they don't know how to write women. <laughs> I mean, literally this first, the first story was like, Oh, we need someone to betray Namor. So he gets put in prison. How about Dorma? Okay. Oh, we need someone to help Namor. So he gets out of prison. How about Dorma? Yes. It's like, wow. Yes, she's- Which is it lady? Right. Yeah. She she wants to capture him for her love, but she also wants, you know, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. They could have pasted it. Like if that was 10 stories later that she came around and decided to free him after all, like felt guilty mm-hmm. or something, that would make sense. But it was two pages later. So it just feels very all over the place. But the old guy on page seven, we are going to see again. Okay. He seemed very He's a random. Person. Yeah, he does seem random, but it, it is seeding a character. Okay. Assuming they had that plan when they'd used him here, he is he has a purpose. Well, it also seeds the idea along with the taxing scene that like people actually like Submariner more than they do Krang. So Yes. That's a good Although setup. we should we should talk about that taxing scene. Okay. So page nine, kids at home. Um, look at the art. Uh-huh. Patrol car drives up, blue soldiers are talking to them. Patrol not patrol car, I'm sorry. Um this is just people, right? Yeah. Theoretically. People drive up. The tax collectors are there. People yell at the tax collectors. The tax collectors fire. And then the tax collectors are looking at a pile of yellow dust. Uh Uh-huh. It does seem like that's what they they disintegrated them or something. Yeah. It seriously looks like they just killed those guys for yelling at them. Uh Uh-huh. But instead, it's like, moments later, a pile of money. Thank you. Yeah. This is is great. Which makes, yeah. and then if you look at the next panel, they're holding like a precious urn or something. So really what probably happened was the intention was he zaps them into a yellow puddle of goo and then takes their valuables. Oh, uh, yeah. Or yeah. something. Cause they don't have any more so money. That t- makes total sense. So maybe another instance of, of Stan softening the situation or, or interpreting it as right. surely he can't just be blasting those guys into dust. Let's do something else with it. It does look like a pile of gold. So maybe the artist was at fault there or something. I feel like sometimes they just don't talk. He doesn't take the time to say, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. But anyway. The people sound like the people who might be talking about Vietnam. They uh-huh. take everything from us to support their mighty war machine. Krang uh-huh. has sworn to invade and conquer the surface world. It sounds very 60s. Also, speaking of that, on page six, not to backtrack, but Namor thinks that attacking the surface world, that mass annihilation is not the way of Submariner. And I read that thinking, yeah, what about Fantastic Four Annual? But we could call that character growth, maybe, that he's learned yeah. his lesson and doesn't want to do that anymore. But he did at one time. He did. And, you know, Namor's philosophizing here. He thinks about the soldiers that are working for Krang. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to take his vengeance out on them because if soldiers are just doing what soldiers are supposed to do, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was cool, too. Because I think old school Namor would have just wanted to kill all of them. But he's the getting- only uh, remaining note I had on this was they keep on talking about uh, places and they use like the same term over and over again, like murky depths. Uh-huh. Atuma is from the murky depths. Mm-hmm. And here we're going to the hidden deeps. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are those, <laughs> are those like region names on a map? Like if, you know, if, if Namor laid out a map of the oceans, is murky depths like marked and hidden deeps oh. is marked over here? Murky depths is way different than hidden deeps. Yeah. Totally, right. I mean, it's totally kind of like Texas is different from Florida. Right. Completely different set of people. Right. Right. And we get a seaweed stomping surprise at the end. Uh huh. By the way, on the cover, it looks way more like seaweed. So I wonder if it's a coloring problem. But anyway. I think it looks like a cut like seaweed on the cover because it's green. Yeah. It still exactly. looks like hair to me. Yeah. That's true. Looks like the, I thought it was the man thing initially, which I was like, wow, that's a little too early. But. Yeah, we are a long ways from the man thing. He's a little more 70s, isn't he? Um, yeah, definitely 70s. All right. Well, if that's all we have for Namor, let's keep going because there's another one in this book. Speaking of green. Speaking of green and 60s, The Incredible Hulk, Like a Beast at Bay, produced by a titanic array of talents such as only Mighty Marvel could muster for one epic adventure. Stan Lee, stunning story. Jack Kirby, lavish layouts. 
Mickey DeMeo, awesome art, and Artie Semek, luscious lettering. I want to say that Mickey DeMeo did most of the art on this one, in my opinion. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why they said lavish layouts for Jack Kirby, because it doesn't look very Jack Kirby to me. But So layouts would just be like your general figure outlines in the mm-hmm. panels, right? Yeah. Probably all the decision making in terms of layout and camera control and stuff. And then someone comes yeah. in and does the detail. So he like plotted out the art. Yeah. And someone else came in and drew it. Yeah. Uh, or maybe just uh, Ricky, Mickey DeMeo's inking is very destructive or something. Sometimes that happens too. Anyway. So if we remember correctly, uh, uh, the leader who is, if we all recall, a genius in plastoid created a plastoid giant because the little ones weren't doing the job and is attacking the army base to show off what a plastoid giant can do. And Hulk, who, if we also recall, now has Bruce Banner's brain, was trying to stop it when the army decided, eh, it's just the Hulk. What do we care? Let's shoot a sunday puncher at him which i guess is a big nuke missile thing um hulk doesn't see this but rick does so he goes running out there kind of reverse roles from his origin to save his life um that's where we pick up in this story so rick gets out there and says hulk it's coming and hulk's like oh i recognize one of those i kind of helped design it or something it has luckily maximum speed blah 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 so he takes rick and he jumps away and the missile hits the big uh whatever it's called, rubber adaptoid thing, and blows it up. Humanoid. Humanoid. Blows it up in a big, you know, mushroom cloud nuke explosion. But unfortunately, the Hulk doesn't jump quite fast enough because the tail end of that explosion hits him too, to the point where he is like, you can see the planet Earth. That's how high up he is. Thin air, I guess. Um, Then he comes crashing down. Uh... Theoretically, he's okay. We'll see in a second because we cut to the army going, yay, we stopped the humanoid. Let's go and pick it up. But the leader sees it on his camera and makes it self-destruct. Then he's watching the Hulk survive because the Hulk's fine, but Rick is dead. But um, lucky, luckily, uh, the Hulk is super strong and shoots like a big Hulk breath into his mouth, which is just like gamma CPR, and he wakes up. Um, he wakes up. And then the Hulk sees that the army's coming and he wants to fight him because he's getting a little less Bruce Bannery in the brain. He's kind of getting a little more, uh, you know, they're hounding me and I hate them. Um, not very logical. And Rick's like, no, no, don't attack them here because then they'll know about your secret base. And he's like, fine, fine. So he hops them to uh, the secret base. But unfortunately, while he's hopping from mountain to mountain, they see him. So they follow him. And guess what? Now they know about the secret base. So once inside... Banner, still kind of irritated and sounding way more like early Hulk, uh, is trying to mess with his machine to make sure that he can stay the Hulk forever. Because as you recall, he has a bullet in his brain. And if he ever turns back into Bruce Banner, he will die instantly. Uh, Meanwhile, they get attacked. And uh, they're shooting missiles at the cave and it's caving in. And the Hulk is like throwing... uh, Rocks at their tanks and all that stuff. But then it gets down to like, we're going to, we have uh, planes up in the air and we are going to bomb you if you don't come out and surrender. And Hulk's like, oh, I could take that, but Rick's going to die. So he's like, Rick, you go out there and, uh, um, and, and surrender. And then they won't, they won't nuke us because you're there. And meanwhile, as Rick reluctantly does this, the leader appears and says, you know, I can transport you from here, but you have to work with me. So what do you say? Uh, and that's to be continued. Will the Hulk join the forces of the leader? Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. Yes, yes, he will. Because otherwise, what's the story? <laughs> that's my guess. But anyway. So we had like the, the single humanoid. Then we had the masses of humanoids. Mm-hmm. Now we have the gigantic all combined into one humanoid. Which got taken out pretty easy, in my opinion. Yeah, so, well, I mean, it was a Super Sunday Punch Missile, Mike. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, but like his whole point was he was wasn't he trying to show off how amazing his super giant uh, humanoid was so that he could sell it to the highest bidder or something? Yeah, yeah, I bet you those um, <laughs> the army's just bastards like, aren't going to want to buy anymore, right? The missile took it out. And how but, is how is the leader going to make all the money for his you know leading? How does he make all the money to build these freaking robots in the first place? Again, I wonder. Again, I wonder why he can't just steal money because he's the leader but that's okay yeah, yeah. like he, he needs better i so far i'm not really into the leader much because i don't know other than his obsession with the hulk he's not really doing anything that's all that interesting 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's the Hulk's, you know, nemesis, I guess. Uh-huh. You know, when I think of Hulk's nemesis, I think of leader and abomination. Sure. Leader for brains, abomination for brawn. Uh-huh. Um, and we're, you know, not a super long way from abomination, but still quite a number of issues out. Uh, but the leader has just been here a lot ever since this series started. And it's just kind of been different variations of the same theme. Yeah. He just wants to steal things or make money. And I just feel like a guy this smart and this evil should have a better, more interesting, uh, you know, James Bond plan. Right. Or something. He and he doesn't try to shoot a laser up between Oak's legs on the platform yet. Right. Or have a satellite that's going to destroy the entire world unless the Hulk gets into space and destroys it or something. You know, I don't know. Right. Nothing. He's just no, like Doctor Banner. I expect you to die. He's trying to steal missiles that Banner invented, which suggests to me that he can't recreate those missiles. So how smart is he? Or he's trying to steal money, and his his go to punch every single time is a stupid humanoid. So it's like, come on, leader, let's step up our game a little bit. Someone had definitely been seeing or reading Gulliver's Travels on page four. Oh, yeah. Because that is very Lilliputian yeah. on that wide panel. That's like straight out of the movie, maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't think CPR works the way the Hulk makes it work. <laughs> I think Rick Jones's lungs should have exploded. Right? Yeah. Like you just, you didn't, the thing with air is if you shoot it in a burst, it can break stuff. Like, it's still a force to be reckoned with. That's, you know, why wind, you know, tears down houses and stuff. So he basically did um, Janet Van Dyne's wasp sting on Rick Jones's lungs, and that's dangerous. You don't want to do that. Well, I'm not even sure that was the solution anyway. Like, I don't know anything about CPR. I really should get, like, licensed or something so I could save my children someday. But, like... He passed out because of thin air, which makes sense. But when he's back, you want to get him breathing again. Well, does that happen once if you pass out from thin air? Do you stop breathing? And is that what you do? You breathe into somebody to make them breathe again? Um, yeah, the reason you do the the uh, the breathing is to 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 coax the lungs to start expanding. Try to get that diaphragm muscle to start working again. Mm-hmm. So if he if he wasn't able to breathe because of the thin air, it's possible that he might have gone into some sort of shock and stopped breathing. Okay. We so can buy I, that. I, that seems reasonable with my rudimentary understanding of, of, you know, the human body, but yeah. Um, but he says, my lungs are the world's strongest and I'm practically tireless. Now tireless would be pretty handy because, you know, I'm assuming CPR yes. gets old after a while for people. Right. Um, but maybe he wasn't actually shooting his full super breath into the kid's face. I don't know. Cause that would kill him. But anyway, He's alive. I hope so. He's alive. He's so, alive. So Banner is is slipping. He's already slipping. This didn't last very long. This lasted one story. Which which is what happened last time. He uh-huh. it was the Hulk through his intelligence. It slowly deteriorates. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling this. I mean, it makes sense to me mm-hmm. that as the Hulk, you know, he has transitioned into the Hulk. Even if something happened with the change, and he has a more intelligent transformation, mm-hmm. that might just be a delayed effect. Yeah. That the Hulk muscles his way back. Right. Or whatever, however it works. Um, I, I don't know how that recon- you know, reconciles with the later concepts of what's actually underlying the transformations. but Now, I kind of feel like Grey Hulk would have just been fine with them nuking him because and Rick dying because he didn't really care about Rick. It never seemed like. I don't know if that was really true. <laughs> But well, it has been a, it has been a, a, a rocky relationship between these two in these comics too. I mean, they, yeah, Hulk has not been Rick's friend most of the time. No, but here he does worry about him and yeah. want him to leave so that they stop shooting at the cave. If he were fully Hulk, I wonder if he would worry as much. Yeah, I, that's what I was wondering too. Like, is this is this Bruce Banner that's caring about Rick, or does Hulk care about Rick more than he used to? I don't know. I don't either. Well, I mean, he was really mad at, that he that he betrayed him for the Avengers too, but that could just be jealousy and ego or something. I don't know. Right. I do like the Hulk getting Rick to safety at the end when they're about to start shooting into the cave. Mm-hmm. And Hulk's like, you know, Rick, you've got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that too. Um, and I think, oh my gosh, I think that Hulk face on page 10, Uh huh. I think that's the one from the cartoon that yeah. like bursts through the logo at the end. Yeah, it sure looks like it, huh? I'll have to check that out next time I'm watching that. I'm, I've watched 11 weeks of the 13-week Marvel Superhero Show. Wow. So that's 11 episodes of each of the each of the series. Nice. 
Um, but yeah, um, got to make a big decision next time about whether or not to follow the leader, follow the leader. And, uh, that's all I've got for this one. Yeah, me too. It was a nice little chapter with the, you know, caveats that the entire saga as a whole feels like it's not really going much places. Mm -hmm. This was a little better paced than the last couple. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Daredevil nine. Oh God. Yes. Really? I think I posted okay. this on Twitter. Sometimes you see a cover and you just really don't want to read the inside. All right. And this was cool. one of those times. <laughs> Daredevil fights a knight <laughs> at a castle. Okay. That he may see featuring the murderous menace of the killer's castle. Good Lord. Okay. Are, are you the type of reader who's impressed by lots of credits? If so, take a squint at these. Fundamental plot and script by Smilin' Stan Lee. Basic layouts and delineation by Wondrous Wally Wood. Comprehensive penciled graphics by Bounce and Bobby Powell. Oh, wait. So Wood did the layouts and Powell did the pencils and Wood came back and inked it? Interesting. Ah. Uh. Balloons... Orders and blurbs by oh, borders and blurbs by swinging Sammy Rosen. All right. Um, so we open up with Daredevil doing Daredevil action. He's trying to stop some hijackers on a boat. There's some cool water stuff, but he um, he takes a bullet. No, either I don't think it goes into his arm. I think it grazes his arm. And uh, he goes back to the office, patches himself up. The next morning, uh, Karen Page is telling him that hey, remember that. That eye doctor I told you about, Dr. Van Eyck. Well, turns out he recently left the country. He's left America, and now he's moved to Lichtenbad. And Matt's like, huh, that sounds like a made-up country. <laughs> uh, she's like, but I do have a surprise for you. I hope you like it. He's like, a surprise? What's that? He goes into the office, and um, Matt, uh, I'm sorry, Foggy's like, yeah, just finishing up this draft here. He is totally doing a, news, uh, a golf game mm -hmm. in the office. Mm -hmm. The Duke of Lichtenbad is visiting US, the U.S. He is Klaus Kruger. And um, this, is, this has to do with the surprise that um, What's-Her-Brains Karen uh -huh. has for Foggy. Uh, let's see. The Baron comes to, or the Duke comes to visit them in their office. They're like, wow, it's a Duke of Lichtenbad here. And Karen's like, this is Matt, the lawyer I told you about that needs the operation. Uh, can he come to your country and, and see Dr. Van Eyck? And Duke's like, sure. In fact, you can come with me. My country's amazing. We would love to have you here. Um, Matt realizes from his pulse rate that there's something shady going on, but he goes along with it. They um, they leave. Matt says goodbye to, to Karen. Foggy's a little bit dis, uh, dismayed about how close they are when they're saying goodbye. As soon as they get on the plane, though, the Duke becomes very distant and doesn't really talk to Matt for the entire trip. They land in a little patchwork country, patchwork, you know, postage stamp. That's the postage stamp country, the bitty country. And the as they're disembarking the plane, there's an assassination attempt on the Duke. Turns out the common people really don't like him. There, it's martial law in this country, so the military police put down the assassination attempt very quickly. They drive to a country. Uh, Matt Murdock is shown to his room. It's a closely guarded room, and the doctor Van Eyck is there, who tells Matt they're both now prisoners. Uh, the Duke goes about finding all the best people in various fields throughout the world and then bringing them to Lichtenbad so they can work for him. So he had one of the best eye doctors. Now he has one of the best lawyers. Although, if we recall, Matt Murdock got his license to practice law last Tuesday. Um, <laughs> in the U.S., but anyway. Right, right. In the U.S., right. Um, so let's see. That night, there's... Um, a rebellion being planned in the castle. Matt turns into Daredevil. The knights come and try to put down the rebellion. Daredevil shows up. Uh, he, you know, seeks into the castle, past the knights, confronts the Duke. They fight. Daredevil gets captured and put in prison with all the other people. But he's super cool and is able to jump off the pole he's chained to. Very, uh, very episode two, but on a much smaller scale. Episode two of Star Wars. Um... Let's see. There's more fighting. Uh, back in the Americas, Foggy is really, really mad because he's super jealous of Matt and Karen, but he's also super angry at himself 
for his jealousy. At one point, he punches his own face in the mirror and busts his hand. Um, anyways, Dr. Van Eyck looks at the operation, uh, and before he can actually start anything, he gets carried away by the police, by the guards. Matt turns back into daredevil, fights some more people. Um, (laughs) eventually the fight is over and daredevil wins and goes home. No, he throws Baron out a window. So Uh Baron like falls to his death. No, at some point the doctor dies in the process of the fighting and Daredevil sends a letter home saying he's coming home and there was no operation. He'll explain when he gets there. And Foggy's like, Matt Murdock's coming back. Now I'm really not going to have any chance with Karen. Darn it, darn it, darn it. Is that really what happens to the dude? He falls out a window? I don't even remember. I'm trying to see. Or did the mob just get him or something? Off camera? I don't even see. Like the last time I see him is on page 11 and he's pointing and the gate goes down. The The Duke? Yeah. He's in that he's in that get up the whole time. The dude with the purple cape? Isn't that the dude? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what happens after page eleven? Where is he? Okay, so hold on, I'm going to page eleven. He's pointing and going, Ha ha, you'll never escape your pillar of doom and the gate closes right. and then Daredevil escapes his pillar of doom and lets all the people out, knocks out the knights. They all He shows up again on page sixteen. Oh, does he? Oh, I didn't keep going. Okay. That makes more sense. There he is. I and they it fight was from over. 16 until 19, and they make it out into the ramparts of the castle. And um, So he just straight up kills Daredevil him? Doesn't, Daredevil doesn't throw him overboard, but like Duke launches himself at Daredevil, and Daredevil dodges, and so Duke falls to his death. Oh, uh, I think it's okay if you're a superhero and you say, stop, I warn you, don't, and then you proceed to hit them in the stomach with your billy club and push them off the castle. It's not really killing them. It's okay. <laughs> If you say stop, stop, don't, my knife is in your neck. Oh, stop. It's okay. I'm so pretty sure I he killed really, him. I really didn't write a whole lot down about this as I was reading it. <laughs> but at the same time, I was super engaged the whole time. Like, really? I really enjoyed reading this. Yeah. I mean, you, you cannot like it. That's okay. okay. Talk about some things you had problems with. Well, I'll tell you the thing I like first is I'm really loving the Wallywood art. We don't mm-hmm. talk about art much, but ever since Wally Wood came on board this book, man, he just seems so much more daredevil-y. It's moody, it's dynamic, it's pretty uh-huh. great. And he does, he's really establishing the Matt Murdock like power shortcuts, you know, mm-hmm. with the heart, the heartbeat panels and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it's just really fun. I mean, he uh, doesn't know what a heartbeat looks like, but it's Well, but we do, yeah. Um, otherwise, like, I don't know, I didn't even, maybe I read this too fast, but you said something about he was trying to collect all the best people based on their vocation. I didn't even get that part. So at the end of this, I was just like, why did he even want Matt there? Like, I guess I missed that dialogue. Uh, yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's between him and the doctor. The doctor explains. Oh, okay. No, he says, I, no matter the walls have ears, don't say anything. I don't know. Maybe he says it later, but anyway, yeah, it was so like minor, like, I don't know, just like daredevil in a third, in a European weird castle country just doesn't seem to gel for me i don't know he should just stick with new york street stuff maybe well see there's also going to be another daredevil in a castle story (laughs) of course and maybe three or four issues this is like x-men in the savage land yeah Yeah. so when when i started this one i thought it was that one okay and the reason i remember that one is because there's a character in it who's of some import i don't want to spoil anything um but yeah, so I was like, "Oh, this this is this is not that one." Um, but um, I like the boat fight in the beginning; very dynamic. I like that he gets shot. It's nice to see like mortal characters getting hurt once in a while and it having mm-hmm, an impact. Mm-hmm. So this whole issue, like his arm is useless to him, which is cool. He doesn't just shrug. Right, it off. I forgot to mention that through all the fighting, he's he's kind of you know yeah hampered by his his wounded arm. And it's cool to see him like you know bandaging himself and all that because you can't just go to the doctor with a shotgun or you know a gunshot wound, but. Um, I love that thing you were talking about with Foggy pretending to be working when he's really golfing. That was awesome. That was a really fun panel because uh-huh. you know, and I know that Matt can see the entire thing. Yeah. But Foggy's like, uh, yeah, I'm just over here. I forget what he said. Straightening things up a bit. Uh-huh. That's very, their relationship though. I like that. Right. Um, um, Foggy is really having a hard time through all wow, this. Wow. He's being really unfriend. Right. But what I like about it is that he's aware. 
He's yeah. aware that he's being unfriendly in his mind and he's frustrated because he has these feelings mm-hmm. and, you know, doesn't know how to process them because in the sixties men never learned how to process their feelings. Well, he doesn't just have the feelings. He's acting on them too, which isn't good. Like what do you mean by acting on them? Well, he's throwing darts at Matt's head for starters. I yeah. think at some point, at some point he says some mean things about Matt to Karen, if I recall. He lost his nerve oh, yeah. at the last minute. Our friend Matt is not exactly the bravest of men. You know, that's not a very nice thing to say about your friend to a woman really isn't who's right. interested. Things like that. Um, the whole Karen Blind thing, like, she's always, like, painting it in this picture like she thinks his blindness is what keeps him internal or introverted. Mm-hmm. Do we really believe that or does she really want him to fix it because she wants him to not be blind? Like, is that her justification? Or is that real? Is she really just do trying to help him? That she's, do we think that she's lying to herself yeah, or whatever? Yeah. Like, is she – she's painting it in her brain like she's trying to do him a favor. Like, if he could just see, he'd have a better life because right now his blindness – she doesn't care that he's blind, but his blindness is making him introverted and quiet and single right. and not trying in life. That's what she keeps saying to herself. But at the same time, he's made no indication that he wants this fix. So it's like, stop it. Karen, stop it. At the same time, he does like tell himself, I could never ask her to love a blind man. Mm-hmm. So is, she might not be off the mark. Which is also not great for his personality. Yeah, but. It's, it's not a great characterization at all. No. Um, for multiple reasons. It, you know, at first it demonizes blindness, but it also takes Matt's attitude is taking agency away from Karen. Because rather than letting her decide whether or not she wants to be with him, he is making the decision preemptively for her. And he also has a bad outlook on himself because mm-hmm. what's wrong with him? He sees right. he sees better than we do. So is that really stopping him? Anyway. I did. It was very, I thought, Casablanca uh-huh. whenever she's leaving on page five. And she's leaning backwards as she waves up. It's very cartoon. Uh-huh. But like, I don't know why she's not falling over. Because <laughs> She is like at a 60 well, degree angle there. Because the wind is on her back, as you can see from her dress. So it's really pushing. Right, right. I was just. I feel like I've seen that shot animated before. I was thinking I'm way too lazy to be a superhero because the only reason he's going on this trip is because he's curious as to why the guy's lying. It's like that's that's too much work. I don't care why he's lying. Oh, yeah. I'm going to stay here. I got work to do tomorrow. I don't need to yeah. go. Go ahead and lie. People we, lie every day. We've got all these people we're representing in the law every day. You know. <laughs> yeah. One thing this is going to do, though, is it's going to bring an end to the whole Karen pestering Matt for a cure oh, situation. Oh, good, because they've decided that there is no cure. Yeah, well, I, okay, I say that. I, I'm pretty sure it comes to an end here. It feels like it should come to an end here, because she had this doctor that she's known ever since issue two, and um, that doctor is now dead. So, so this doctor is legit, and theoretically the best, you know, sight-restoring doctor in all of Marvel – Mm-hmm. And he did give him an actual physical, and the Ryan and the was, result is no, I can't help you, isn't it? He calls Matt in to talk to him about his X-rays. Um, if the operation is a success, you're still going to be a prisoner, like I am. Oh, that's what so the he answer doesn't even was? say. Yeah. Okay, so we don't. And at that, and at that point, all bets are off, and it's just action. For okay, there. so we don't know if his sight is restorable because right. because the doctor dies from radiation. They're leaving that story concept open. Okay. I did really like Matt getting off the pole. So I didn't really describe this in the uh, in the recap, but he's his back is to a pole, like a telephone pole thickness pole, mm-hmm. and his arms are wrapped around it backwards so that his he's handcuffed behind himself mm-hmm. and around the pole. So basically the poles between him and his arms. And basically he uses his feet and his butt and the manacles to like all, you know, give the pressure and friction needed to raise himself up on the pole mm-hmm. and then pull his hands over it. And then he vaults over his handcuffs, which I don't think you can do that. I think you'd have to like lay down and slowly squeeze his feet over his cuffs, but you know, whatever. But I, I just like the whole thing. Like does a pretty good job of getting free. And then someday I think in Mission Impossible 4, they'll raid this comic and, and make it live action. Because I think this hey. happens to Tom Cruise. At some point. I have not seen any of the movies. I have been watching through the TV show. Okay. Well, most of the movies are pretty fun. I hear the TV yeah. show is very um, non-character, but I've never watched it. It is It is a bit non-character driven. It's It's more plot driven, but the characters, you know what to, it's one of those things where you know what to expect from the characters. Yeah. 
And so they kind of do their thing each time. Yeah. But I don't know why yeah. that's necessarily a critique because, hey, we all love Law and Order. Same thing, right? Right, right. You just know what. So it's, 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 it's kind of a formula. Well, nowadays, we call Law and Order a formula show. And it's basically a yeah, formula show. But you know what you're getting and it's fun. Yeah. yeah. It's fun stuff. And George Takei was in the episode I watched today oh. during the first season of Star Trek. And Leonard Nimoy is not in that show, right? Yet. He will be someday. Or he is already. In Star Trek? No. No. And <laughs> isn't he in season, another season of uh, he Mission Impossible at some point? He replaces somebody, I thought. But I don't know. Does he? I, I literally know nothing about it. But the idea that he would come into the show later as a replacement uh, actor makes me happy. I believe he's the replacement of the main guy, but don't quote me. Well, speaking of how we are no longer talking about Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, but we like to talk about Star Trek on the show, too. Maybe we should go into our next pop art production. Maybe we should, but then I have to summarize Sergeant Fury again. Okay. Sergeant Fury and his handling commandos, number 21. Are we in a different date now? We must be, right? Uh, yes, this is the beginning of June 8th. June 8th. And also Daredevil was June 8th, right? No, that was no. June 1st. So this is the first June right. 8th book. To Free a Hostage. A uh, story by Smiling Stan Lee, penciling by Darling Dick Ayers, inking by cheerful Carl Hubble, and lettering by adorable Artie Simek. So, this kind of starts a little different than usual. It starts with them all testing this new, I guess, like, bomb radio trigger situation. And they're setting up the bomb when Izzy's holding the trigger, like, at a safe distance, and it triggers the bombs he didn't do it it just did it so he's like oh my god i just killed all the howlers right so he goes running over there but luckily they were like you know indiana jones and the last crusade they were somewhere else like behind him or something instead of falling off the cliff that was a really weak reference anyway they're all alive um and he's like wow well i didn't do it boss i don't know what's going on the trigger's weird so they go back and sam sawyer's like well i don't like this trigger being weird and nick's like it's fine whatever it's like no it's not fine we got to get into the bottom of this weird trigger so you and me are going to go to the trigger manufacturing store and the rest of you howlers can take some time off in London. So they do that. And of course, that means getting into a fight at a bar with what's his face. I always forget his name. McGivney. McGivney. Yeah. Okay. So that's happening. But meanwhile, they go to the trigger scientist guy and he's like, you know, I'm actually Czechoslovakian and they just took over my country, I guess, as of June well, not June 1965. I don't know when this takes place. But anyway, um, so I'm not really going to help you guys anymore because they're holding my wife and daughter or, you know, the place that's occupied has my wife and daughter. And Sam's like, well, this is our best trigger man, our trigger inventor guy. So guess what, Howlers? You have a new mission. So anyway, uh, Nick goes to the bar, helps them finish up beating up the McGivney guy, and then they go on their new mission, and they go to Czechoslovakia. and doesn't even show us how they get there this time. That's how shorthanded we go. We just get there, and they take over a German uh, uh, car, and they all dress up, and Nick pretends to be a German general, but he doesn't speak German, so he just – his orders. He snaps his orders, and they all just agree. Um, he spends a little while there um, – having most of the guards reassigned to somewhere else, which kind of is suspicious. So that makes the few that are remaining like accusatory. So he just beats those ones up. Um, and then they interrogate one guy looking, you know, to try and figure out where the daughter and the wife are. They know they go to the camp, they invade the camp and the camp people join in to help them. They find the daughter. Unfortunately, wife is dead, but hey, we'll take daughter. So they escape by car. Uh, they destroy a tank on the way out. Um, they're about to hit the rendezvous when the plane that's going to pick them up gets gunned down. So that's a little unfortunate. They gun that plane down in, in retaliation, but now they have no way of getting home. So they jump on a plane or a train. Unfortunately, the train is targeted by the French resistance. So the train gets blown up. The French resistance are like, whoops, our bad. Didn't know you guys were on there. But they help them uh, get through town, uh, get to Paris, at which point Nick finds the German radio that's going on and sends a coded message to Sam. So Sam realizes they need to be picked up. So they find another rendezvous point by boat and they make their way out. They make their way home. The daughter is rendezvoused with the trigger maker. He's happy enough that he got you know, one out of two and agrees to be the best dang trigger maker again. Um, 
And then Sam's happy and says, okay, you guys can have the day off, at which point Nick suggests that they go back to the bar and beat up McGivney some more. The end. And all's well that ends well. And all's well that ends well. Because it always ends well with the Howlers, because they always get the mission done. Yeah, although it doesn't always end well. I mean, people die. Well, I mean, the wife died in this one, but she was already dead when we got there, so is that really their fault? No. And there there wasn't really a tear shed at the end for that. No. Well, I mean, that, that was interesting. I was wondering, like, I mean, how how would you feel? You're worried about your wife and your daughter, and you get one back. I mean, wouldn't you be happy? I guess, but it's still kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. It would be it would be a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, but instead of having a panel of him grieving, they had a panel of them beating up McGivney. So yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking about how defectors are a relatively common story trope, mm-hmm. but defectors who defect back—that's not a story you do very often. And that's where I thought they were going at the beginning of the story, but then they—that's not exactly what they did. Apparently, someone knows that he's defected, though, and are holding his family over his head, I guess. Um, or why is he not willing to serve the Allies anymore? Yeah, probably. If his family got left behind, the authorities might know who he is. And so, yeah, yeah. I can see how that would happen. Mm-hmm. It happened with Dr. Erskine. Yeah. Did, didn't it? Didn't they hold his family hostage? I don't know. I was just thinking him? about that. I think when I read it. When I read through like all the iterations of his origin, Catch America's origin, I read through like all of the retcons mm-hmm. once, and I feel like that was a thing because Fury helps rescue Doctor Erskine from a train, oh. and Erskine, if I remember right, is, is unwilling to go because his wife and daughter, something like that. I don't yeah, know. Sounds good. I don't know. Um. So the Howlers had a three day pass at the beginning. Uh huh. And then Fury goes and get this mission and comes back and gets them. So do they lose their three-day pass? They never seem to actually get days off, do they? No. If they have any time off, it's between... I mean, sometimes we come in and they're like loafing around waiting for action. Mm-hmm. So they do have days off. I got to but... say, uh, Dick Ayers is is improving on the comical nature of this comic. Like, that was yes. that was one thing Kirby was really good at was, chaos, you know, funny chaos. And this bar fight by Ayers is actually really funny, I thought. Yeah, and I like I like Ayers's facial expressions better than Fury's a lot of the time. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, better than uh, Kirby's. It's more more cartoony. Yeah, yeah. There's a fun narration gag on page three, the third panel where we first meet Doctor Zenish. Uh-huh. It's after the stuff with the bar, and it says, "But we know that our cultured, peace-loving readers don't care for barroom brawls." Uh-huh. Yeah. And then on the next page, moments later at the Pig and Whistle Pub and Cultural Center. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so that was a discussion of battle tactics is in session. Yeah. yeah. That was good stuff. Did you notice the name of the camp? The name of the camp. No, I did not. Dotschwitz. Okay. What's that? It's not Auschwitz. Oh, okay. It's, it, it, it seems like it's the, con- it's the Auschwitz concentration camp, but not Auschwitz. It's Do you think prison camping is actually how you say prison camp in German, or are they just being racist there? Prison camping. <laughs> little prison. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> I really want to find out because that's just kind of. I mean, not that we want to be nice to Nazis or anything, but it's just kind well, of. It's funny. more to the Germans, right? Right. To the German people in German language. Prison camping. I'm, I'm, um, I'm doing a quick Google Translate just to see if that gives us. No, it's Giffen. Gif, I don't speak German, but Giffen-Genen-Lager. It's all one word. Prison camp. Okay. Giffen-Genen-Lager. So definitely not prison camp. <laughs> prison camp. <laughs> it can't be. That just sounds so horrible. Anyway. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, good job, Stan. Yeah. Um, prison <laughs> or Ayers, whoever it was. Good job, Dick. <sighs> That's kind of funny. All right. Okay. So page 11. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that won't be possible, Sergeant. My mother died here in the camp some weeks ago. I'm sorry, can I know what it's like to lose someone? Oh, continuity. Right? And it's at least two different meanings from the stories that we've had. Mm-hmm. True. But let's be real. I mean, in a war, a lot of people are lost. Mm-hmm. So, like, Nick Fury could have lost a lot of people in this war. He could have said that without either of those stories happening, and we'd still be fine with it, probably. But Right. Yeah. But we, we, we definitely know at least part of what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. The Frenchman at the end. Uh huh. Francois, who goes by Frenchie. Yeah. All right. I have known since I don't know when that there was a member of the Howlers named Frenchie. 
when I saw Captain America and one of the men they rescue was French, I was like, oh, look. Uh But I have no idea where I learned that. But this French freedom fighter, he's not a howler. He's Jacques Denier. Mm -hmm. And he does come back into the comic at least once. We don't have a French guy in our howlers, do we? Nope. That's really kind of an oversight, isn't it? Yeah. With the French resistance being such a big deal in World War II, having a Frenchman in the howlers would be. Yeah, you'd think. More important than an Italian. Come on. <laughs> anyway. Um, I like there are a couple times where the daughter and Fury, someone says something that suggests they're like sweethearts and she is very insistent. That's not what's going on. Uh huh. Yeah. I don't know. This was kind of a fun story. I felt like they were trying to change up the formula a little bit because mm-hmm. it starts out with a death, but it's not really a death. And then it's kind of comical in the beginning. And then like the whole rendezvous with their, with their way home gets shot down, which is unusual. Usually that's the end of the story. So yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah. Is, is, I mean, Sergeant Fury is kind of Sergeant Fury, but I feel like if we go back and reread like the first two or three issues, Mm -hmm. there's been a definite, uh, like, you know, the stories are much more engaging now than they were then, at least for me. Yeah. They do say that Normandy would be a lovely, a lovely place for an invasion, which um, is kind of putting a finger on later World War II events. Hmm. Don't, don't we don't we raid France at yeah. Normandy? Yeah, Isn't invasion that... of Normandy is a big thing. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's somebody's yeah. somebody's vehemently writing an email right now. You guys don't know anything about history, right? Uh, I try to, but I you know yeah, I, can only, just I can only store so many facts. On someday me. I'll be that World War II buff. I'm gonna do it someday, but then I'll have to reread all these. And check them for and, uh, for accuracy. Right, and tell, tell everybody how wrong they are or whatever. It would be cool out there in listener land if one of you really is a World War II buff, if you do have a lot of knowledge in your brain, mm-hmm. if you could, if you were to occasionally write an email, you know, talking about how these stories compare. And we're going to record an email, you know, episode tonight, which you heard several weeks ago. So maybe that's exactly what's in our email bag right now. We don't know. But, um, but yeah, it'd be neat. I mean, technically, I'm not saying Stan is a historian on world war two, but Stan and Jack were in world war two. So there is some references, I imagine to their experiences, but right. You know, they were there. So hopefully they know a little bit and can put that in these stories, but who knows? Well, Lee was a, Lee was a desk jockey in, in the war. He did not see. Yeah. But action. you're still like aware of what's going on. Theoretically, I guess. I don't know. Maybe yeah. You don't. Yeah. I've never been in the military. I don't know how aware you are of things as they're happening. I have also never been in the military. My father was, mm-hmm. and it uh, gave me a really good reason not to be. Mm. So, but let's see. Um, we are under an hour. See, we knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Let's do the best book of the night. If I'm assuming Fantastic four, four forty two. Okay. It is the world's greatest comic magazine. It is at least for our episode uh-huh. to save you. Why must I kill you? The battle you never expected to see, even though they kind of been hinting at it since the <laughs> series started. <laughs> And that was to be continued exactly like this last issue, but that's okay. Under the influence of the wizard's diabolical id machine, as to be distinguished from his fake ID machine, um, the mighty thing believes the Fantastic Four to be his enemies. Thus, he obeys the command which will bring death to his helpless ex-partners. Produced by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Inking, Vince Coletta. Lettering, Sam Rosen. Do you think, like, by 1965, they realized people were going to be podcasting about these issues and start giving us these recap blurbs just to make our life easier? What's a podcast? Because <laughs> they've been really <laughs> handy, I have to say. <laughs> they are. They are definitely handy. Definitely uh, very helpful. Um, okay, so the Fantastic Four are trapped... The Fantastic Four fight the thing in the Frightful Four. The Fantastic Four get away, and then they're trapped again at the end. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean... Well, that's our hour, kids. So, anyway... I l- literally... To go into very much more detail would require some blow-by-blow stuff. And I don't like to do that for fight scenes. Yeah. But this is... This entire issue... Entire issue is one fight scene. It kind of is, isn't it? And it sort of just goes back to exactly where we left off. Um, All the four get free from their traps. The um, Reed Richards and Susan Storm do get away from the rest of the group. 
And so they try to retaliate and regroup and come back and fight the frightful four. Um, that's this moves the fight outside to the externals. Um, but the wizard uses his like uh, um, anti-grav discs on nature to like bring, I don't know, all the trees and rocks up into the air. Um, the thing grabs read. No, what is it? Oh, okay. The one thing that does happen is that the human torch gets recaptured by the frightful four and they use the id machine on him as well. So at the end of the episode, the one thing that's really changed is that the fantastic four are now split down the middle. The thing and the torch are both working for the frightful four. Only Sue and Reed are free. And what's happening at the very last scene is that Reed Richards has his arm wrapped around the thing, like on the cover and the torch is like, let go of the thing, or we're going to do this the hard way. And he surrounds his two friends in flame. All right. And that's the finale. You probably know what happens next. I don't. So I'm just going to just gonna make a prediction right now, not knowing. And you can we could rub it in my face later if I'm wrong. But I think the human torch is not under the wizard's spell. That's my prediction. I, I was also thinking that. And I don't know if it's memory or prediction. Okay. I don't remember the details of this well enough to know exactly how well it's suggested that he's being a little weird so Mm -hmm. i keep waiting so i think next issue he's gonna pull the table out from under a pull the rug out from under old wizard and turn the table turn the tides the other however the other frightful four bees don't get along with johnny very well they don't but even wizard says something like what does he say like somewhere towards the end he's like uh um He's like a blazing meteor with his flame, and the thing's power, the 504, but for, I don't know where it's, The torch flew too fast. He missed them, but I caught a glimpse of them. Mm. I don't know. It just seems like he wasn't happy, but maybe. I don't know. How did he get out of it, though? I don't know. We'll find out if that happened. Yeah, because we don't actually see the id machine being used. Mm-hmm. The wizard and the torch go into a room. Later on, they come out of the room, and we don't know what happened. Because the thing is being mean to the, the other three also. It's like right. the only person he has to obey is the wizard. So he's the wizard. Yeah, he's being, a, you know, a grumpy thing to the other three, essentially. Man, this was fun, though. I know it's just a fight, but like, and as much as we dog Reed Richards, sometimes he's awesome because, yeah. first of all, his stretchy power is generally kind of laughable, uh, especially live action. I don't know. It's like it really illuminates the idea that a stretchy power is sort of silly. But I really loved how he like just, expanded on the thing here and wouldn't let him like beat him. I don't know. I thought that was really cool. Even though he stuck to the board. Doesn't mean the rest of his body can't inflate. That was kind of neat. Yeah. I really liked balloon. Reed. Yeah. Balloon Reed was cool. And I loved when they did get away that they cut to like, Oh, I found a whole warehouse full of the wizard's stuff and I'm Reed Richards. So I just created this awesome thing that I can shove down their chimney. I don't know. That's very awesome. And then they all come running out of the house and he's like, slingshotting with his fingers he's slingshotting the wizard's own devices against them that was really Mm -hmm. awesome like sometimes it's cool when he's take charge you know intelligent guy i liked all that when when he broke free from his board Uh i kind of thought that maybe all the bits of board would still be glued to his back that would have been cool a little cool little detail but oh well johnny used his mind (gasps) and brain to get out of his trap yeah so Johnny is trapped in a um, basically a water hose that's strapped to uh-huh. it, has a heat sensor. And if it gets warm, it's going to trigger the water hose and douse him with water. Uh-huh. But he's like, if I can get hot enough, quickly enough, I'll just melt the apparatus before I has a chance to turn on. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what you should and do. And he did. And it worked. Yeah. And he freed his sister. Johnny is always like, this is like the second time with the Frightful Four. He's come in and like sort of turned the tide. Unfortunately, it didn't work out this time as well. But No. Uh, I can't remember how they captured him again. Is this just because uh, the thing hit him or something? I'm um, looking through. Yeah, we got the thing facing torch. Oh, no. She used the um, Medusa used her hair to grab some water and smacked him with it. She got made wet hair. And then, yeah, but and then Johnny got, and then Ben finally grabbed him and knocked him out with a thump on the forehead. Yeah, that was kind of cool. I like the red, the wet hair technique. That was neat. Yeah, it's a good way of carrying. I mean, you have hair, right? It carries water very easily. So yeah, yeah and great. she can use it to turn on the faucet and everything. That was kind of fun. It occurs to me that this is not the first time that Ben has acted out his resentment against Reed. Mm-hmm. And the last time he didn't even ha- need an id machine. It was just like, you know, Diablo is going to heal me. You never did. So poop on the Fantastic Four. I'm going to, you know, reinstate slavery. Yeah. Um, Invisible Girl 
does a lot of kick butting in this. Invisible Girl was really cool in this. Yeah, she took on the Trapster and Medusa and got away. Mm-hmm. And then she freed, figured out that Reed was jammed into a vase that the thing put him in, which is kind of sad. Yes. But it was so tightly, you know, thinged, closed that, yeah, she used all her power to, like, open it and knock herself unconscious. That was pretty cool. Yeah, we see her um, wrestling with it, and she can't do it. So she takes it outside to, to wrestle with it some more. So she's being ingenious. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's in. in Ingenious is the right word. I don't think intuitive is the right word either, but ingenuity. Yeah, strategy. She's using her ingenuity yeah. to, 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 to get open. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandman is sent after the Invisible Woman at one point on page 11. Uh-huh. And I was like, that actually makes sense. If you have an Invisible Woman, Sandman does have the best chance of finding her. Right. He can just blanket the area in sand. That was pretty That's good. That's true. He also gets jelly of uh, the thing because... Medusa decides that the thing's pretty awesome and lights his cigar for him. So get, but apparently yeah. he's in love with her now, officially. Medusa played cards with Sandman last issue. That means they've got something going on. Right. She should be totally devoted to him at this point. And she didn't. Dang woman. And I don't know if Ben was making a joke or not, but Medusa wraps her wet hair around Johnny to knock out his flame. And then Ben says... I'm going to knock you out to make sure you don't get in anyone's hair again. Hey, let's just say it was a joke because that's a good one. We'll give him credit. I like that. It's not, it's really subtle and that made me happy. Yeah. It could just be an expression, but yeah, no, I like it. Let's do it. And Johnny, Johnny called Ben his best buddy. Oh, that made me happy. It's actually really disconcerting how thing is just like evil thing. I don't know. Yeah, because he's yeah. he's our he's our team mascot. He's supposed to be lovable and and fun and stuff, and he's all mean and beating people up. Well, he's certainly teddy bears over the decades. Like when I think of modern thing, I think of a teddy bear with a slight layer of crust on the outside. You mm-hmm. know, and this it's a lot more like he's got a lot of serious issues, but he manages to be a nice guy most of the time. He's definitely started out not a nice guy. Remember how like he almost or Stan wanted him to kind of be like the guy you weren't sure about. Mm-hmm. But he's certainly become more himself as we've gone on but i guess once you're under the thrall of the wizard that goes away in his id machine id machine you mentioned medusa and the boys i still like the idea that medusa is intentionally snarking and playing these brawly boys off of each other i don't think she cares about sandman at all no i don't think she really cares about thing either i think that stirring stuff up a little bit and then you know playing innocent is is sandman also smoking a cigar yes he is I don't know why that matters, but it's kind of fun to keep track of because all this stuff goes away eventually, this whole smoking business. Oh, yeah. Not anytime soon, though. I'm surprised that Sandman smokes because he has no lungs, but whatever. It's cool, I guess. I would say he just likes the taste, but does he have functioning taste buds? He doesn't have a tongue, as far as I know. Yeah. He at least has a semblance of a tongue. I guess he can have a shape of a tongue. Does it work? I guess he talks. He sees. (laughs) need to ask him. I don't know how any of that works, but he's like Odo. Right. See, so just throwing more Star when he's Trek in that out there. shape, it seems to work. Yeah. But, but, you know. But yeah, like you said, this was one long fight. It was a really simple issue, but I was not bored. No. I was enthralled the entire it's time. It's really fun. And it, it's a nice setup because I'm really interested to see how they get out of this. Two on two. Mm-hmm. Two on six, really. Well, how's that for an episode? That's pretty good. Four issues. And it's only an hour ten. And are we, uh, we're not done with this month though, huh? No, we got a ways to go. Yeah. Well, we have, yeah, four more. Four more. Well, while we're talking about it, should I just tell them what the four more are? Or yeah, are we doing four next, or what are we going to do? Want to do four? We'll do three or four. All right, let me get us. I'm going to assign four kids, and if we only get to three, then you just did extra credit, right? right All right, right. So next time we will be talking about the Amazing Spider-Man number twenty-eight with the first appearance of the Molten Man. We'll be talking about Strange Tales number one thirty-six, which will be part two of Nick Fury's new Shield versus Hydra thing, and also some Doctor Strange. We'll be talking about Tales of Suspense number sixty-nine, the first appearance of Titanium Man and Cap and Bucky. Oh no, they go to a castle. What is with castles this month? Avengers number nineteen, the debut, the coming of the Swordsman. Swordsman. Is that how you say that? Swordsman? Swordsman. Swordsman. Yeah, that sounds better. Swordsman. Superman. (laughs) (laughs) I am Joseph Spitterman. Spitterman. (laughs) So that's it. Read those four. We'll probably cover all of them. But then again, these all sound really important and stuff. So maybe we won't. We'll see. 
We'll have to see how it goes. And we just want to say thank you to our followers over on Twitter. Uh, we've had followers. Now, I can't remember exactly where I left off. I know I said hello to Amanda. So Chip Flanagan, at Flanagan Chip, just a nerdy nerd making his way in this big, crazy world of ours. Mariachi Static, at 12 underscore Bar Blues, Religion Kills, Jesus Saves. Elapa Kiplaki, at Kiplaki, Some French Guy. P, at Patch Corcoran. Frightmare City, at Frightmare City. It's a new crime horror comic hybrid from award-winning writer at AC Turner Online. Carl, a site for sore thighs. Uh-huh. Olin Loken Omolodin. Whoa. And Lawrence Lee Nixon at West Comic Guy, reviewer for Weird Science Marvel. I love comics, art, manga, anime, and pop culture. And finally, Dean Robert Willits at Dean Etz. So thank you all for following us on the Twitters. We love retweets, mentions, talking us up in your circles. Always good. What a... What can they do if they want to talk to us? If you or want find to us, find all those things. If you want to find us on Twitter or Facebook, do we still do Facebook? Or are we just on Twitter now? I don't know. Um, I mean, it still exists. People have been liking the page. I have not been using it because I'm not really on Facebook much. Yeah, me neither. Because you know it's weird. But okay, if you want to find a link to the weird Facebook or the very active Twitter, you go to makearsmarvel.com and you'll see big buttons for both of those. You'll also see. Uh, Links for all the ways you can subscribe to the show or just a general RSS feed you want to plug into your favorite app. Or open up your favorite app and search Make Ours Marvel and hope that works. And if it doesn't work, write us at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Let us know. We'll try and fix it. Or you can just write us to, uh, you know, let us know your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams, our failures, our successes, um, or whatever. Makearsmarvel.com. But what if I have no failures? Then successes. It has to be one or the other, Just right? successes. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. Just making sure I was included. Okay, well, speaking of failures, um, I can be followed on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> at John Reads Comics. Um, I have other podcasts that I do. I just put out, as we're recording this, they've been out for a while, so I've actually probably put out more. But I just put out uh, four episodes of all the Pouches and Image Comics podcasts where I'm in uh, March of 1994. The Extreme Prejudice crossover is going on right now, which is the crossover between all the extreme books at the time. I also do um, Return to Cybertron. That's the ticket. A Transformers UK podcast, which is on Twitter at TFUK podcast. And I'm currently between seasons one and two of the cartoon, working through all of the comic stories that came out between those. Lots of good uh, stories, including a good run of British original stories, which is kind of the reason I'm doing the podcast is to pull those UK original stories that add to the continuity and flesh out, you know, story points. So yes, those can be both listened to. I also have been tweeting a tweet blog at Let's Talk Wanda. I have been ignoring that. I need to get back on it. So I will try to do that before we talk about it again. Especially now that she's going to be more frequent. Yeah. Yeah. She's on the Avengers and that's when I stopped. Mm, right. That's <laughs> so, what's finally getting good for you. I'm going to get back into that. And uh, yeah, I guess that is our episode. Yep. So until Medusa quits the Frightful Four and joins the Fantastic Four, Make Ours Marvel. Marvel.